Hello, I'm Party Parslow. Welcome to episode nine of series two of Party in China. But as we begin, Party is not in China. Party is at home in Sydney, and Party's happy, and Party's talking about himself in the third person, which is a worrying sign of megalomania. Thought Party. Arriving in Sydney at about 9pm, I missed the bright Aussie sun I'd already missed for a year. But the air smelt right, the people looked right, the stars were in the right place and nobody spat on the floor or shat in the streets. Plus, the signs were in grammatically correct English. Well, most of them. There was no mutinous riot in the taxi queue and I fitted into my cab with no squeezing or grunting whatsoever. The trip home took a little longer than usual as I made the driver find an open bottle shop so I could buy a six-pack of Cooper's Sparkling Ale, my favourite Australian beer. It was a struggle not to open the first bottle right there in the cab, but I didn't worry about the mounting metre because when packing in Diang, I'd found in a pocket of my bag a long-forgotten taxi docket from who knows what old TV job. So if you're an accountant or production manager baffled by a cab charge several years too late and in the wrong city, thanks very much. As always, when I return from overseas, I reboot and update my Australiana by long periods in front of the TV, absorbing everything without regard for story, subject or style. Naturally, that involves watching a lot of the news, which that night featured the worsening situation in Sichuan, outrageous floods in Chengdu and surrounding areas, bridges, buildings and businesses all washed away in sudden suburban tsunamis. It looked like I made it out just in time. Using only my emails as a diagnostic tool, one of my best friends, Dave Gibson, a.k.a. Gibbo, had decided that I was suffering from both depression and dementia months before and tried to lure me home with the promise of a big, juicy steak on my first day back. I'd been dreaming of it, visualising the thick cut, seared firm and brown on the outside, soft and pink on the inside, probably more meat on one plate than I'd have eaten in a month in China. But when the time came, I ate the salad first. All the salad. Every last skerrick, even the stupid designer lettuce. Obviously, I was craving some vitamin or mineral, and seeing my distress, Gibbo scraped his salad onto my plate too. I ate all of that as well. Only then did I turn my attention to the steak, which was so wonderful, I almost wept. I spent a couple of very happy weeks socialising, dining, boozing and laughing, but beneath the honest joy of being home was the disappointment that my Chinese adventure had been such a failure. I'd failed to understand the society, failed to learn the language, failed to find love, failed to actually teach anybody any real English. And by the end of the third week, I surprised myself and everybody else by flying back to China. I can only explain it as stubbornness, or perhaps Irishness. 
Even though my year of culture shock, confrontation and confusion had produced more than enough comedy to complete a book, I couldn't help but focus on my unfulfilled ambition to be an English teacher as important to somebody else as certain teachers had been to me. I just couldn't say uncle without putting up a better fight. Round two began with me half-heartedly applying for more teaching jobs, concentrating on Japan as my son was living in Kyoto. Unfortunately, the Japanese are sticklers for their teachers having actually finished their university degree. A short-sighted approach, in my opinion. I now know that the Chinese are sticklers too, but both my paperwork and I had been managed and manipulated to get around that minor hassle. I was also very interested in Vietnam, as friends who travelled there raved about the beauty of the countryside and the loveliness of the people. So I contacted an American company, Aston English, which has several branches in Vietnam. But they also have over a hundred schools in eastern China, and were much more interested in my experience there. Well, that's what they said. Now I think they were just after my documentation, as I was still a foreign expert as far as the Chinese were concerned. The recruiter countered my long list of objections with seemingly sensible solutions. I would have no big classes. I would be close to the sea. I'd enjoy a resort atmosphere with loads of bars, restaurants and other foreigners. I'd feast on legendary local seafood. Plus, there was better pay, plenty of paid overtime, loads of help fitting in, and, finally, learning the language. He also assured me that Jiangsu was immensely more interesting and civilised than the wild, wild west of Sichuan. His arguments were compelling, but it was my sense of failure that really compelled me to return. I didn't want that dodgy year to define my Chinese experience. And it sounded like this time I'd have a considerable head start. A trustworthy American company, small classes with students I'd get to know and help, beaches and presumably bikinis. If I didn't stand up for the challenge when they were offering me everything I asked for, then I'd just be compounding my failure. So I said yes and agreed to start in about a month. The next day, my new boss emailed me. Hi, party. Good morning. Hope you have a good time. I am very glad to say hi to you. I am a Chinese manger of a branch school in Lian Yungang Aston School. My name is Summer. Welcome you come to Lian Yungang to work with us together. Warmly and friendly, Summer. So, already warmer and friendlier than my welcome to Diang. And then, the day after that... Hi, party. Hope everything goes well and please take my best wishes to your family. I have read your resume and something else. I am sure you are a very kind-hearted man. We love your photo on your passport. We received your material from our head office that I know you will come here on 1st Sep. But please forgive my rash. Would you two come here earlier, please? There was something happened this afternoon. Our only foreign teacher will leave here soon because his father in Spain gets sick in hospital. 
He wants to go there to take care of his father, and he will leave here as soon as possible, and we will have no foreign teacher to do our classes. In this situation, I am very sorry to ask you a question that would you like to come here earlier than your plan? Warmly, Summer. So, not as friendly, but she was still very warm, which might explain her rash. After a flurry of emails and Skype chats, it was agreed that I'd come in a few days. They'd arrange and fund the flight, and I'd take all their classes during the summer break, earning a small fortune in overtime. Now, that was a particularly attractive point for me. As a private school, Aston doesn't shut down during state school holidays, so I would no longer have to work extra days to make up for them. Well, that's what I thought. Look, it all sounded fair. They seemed like nice people. What could possibly go wrong? My personal culture clash was on display at the check-in counter at Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport. I'd been worried that my bulging backpack wouldn't make the weight limit, but when it scraped through with a few ounces to spare, I leapt into an impromptu, I beat the scales, I beat the scales, I beat the scales, yeah, interpretive dance routine. Much to the consternation of staff and security. It was the first time anyone had stared at me since I'd been back in Australia and a reminder that I should modify my behaviour to suit the locale. Or, as Jimmy Buffett puts it better, changes in latitude, changes in attitude. Besides, if the population of Liang Yungang was as sophisticated and cosmopolitan as promised, I'd have to tone down my selfish silliness anyway. Wandering through the vast duty-free shops, Disneyland for dipsomaniacs, I found an offer I couldn't refuse. Two one-litre bottles of Bushmills Irish whiskey for only $49. Apart from the ill-judged dance routine, the trip was starting well. I'd even been assigned an aisle seat with extra legroom, or that's what I thought they'd said but I found the seat in front had some sort of emergency gear container under it. So the only legroom was out in the aisle. Perhaps that was what they'd meant. My big busily boots tripped several passengers, but only one fell all the way to the floor. An elderly Australian woman who went flat out on her side in the aisle. I sincerely hoped that the crunching noise I heard was a packet of crisps in her pocket breaking her fall, not she herself breaking her ribs. Either way, she couldn't have been more of a sport about it. We hit turbulence almost immediately after our delayed takeoff. I like turbulence, as long flights are so boring, at least if there's some uncertainty about whether you're going up or down, or will live or die, it gives you something to think about. But Chinese parents didn't think about what turbulence could do to their toddlers who were left to roam the aisles when the seatbelt sign was lit. Fortunately, the toddlers were all asleep and attached to either parent or seat by the time we hit real turbulence on the approach to Shanghai. That was a plummeting, veering, yawing rollercoaster ride without the comforting amusement park feeling that you'd soon be safe again. 
Many women screamed, and a few nervous men laughed manfully, but not convincingly. With the cabin lights dimmed, the whole experience was made more surreal by the strobe effect of the surrounding lightning storm. Great fun. We were, of course, delayed. My hour and a half between planes was cut to less than 40 minutes, most of which I spent in the immigration queue. Once my residence permit was scrutinised and I was admitted to the People's Republic of Shanghai Airport, I hurried past dozens of departures gates, trying to find the only open one. Actually realised I must have missed it when I went through yet another set of sliding doors and found myself outside in the rain. Then backtracked, becoming more and more convinced that I wouldn't make the next flight. Eventually I found the open departures gates, there was more showing of documents, more stamps, and then I rushed back along the parallel corridor past the same dozens of closed gates, all the way back to the same plane we'd flown in on. There had been no hurry at all, because the plane wasn't going anywhere. As compensation, Air China kindly offered passengers a warm can of Coke and a small packet of crisps. I drank the Coke for the sugar hit, trying to replace the energy I'd expended dashing past the dozens of departures gates, and put the chips in my pocket to cushion my fall in case I collapsed from exhaustion. By now, the toddlers had awoken and were on the rampage once again, even worse now that they were all high on warm coke. So I took refuge in the opposite gate, which was both closed and bathed in blessed darkness. There I stretched out and was almost instantly asleep, despite my last conscious thought being that the staff might not wake me when the plane eventually left. I think blissful unconsciousness lasted about 15 minutes before I awoke surrounded by angry, incomprehensible yelling. The gate had been opened, a flight had arrived, and incoming passengers were arguing vociferously with Air China employees. Why forming a circle around my bench to scream at each other was considered the ideal arrangement is beyond me. Perhaps the staff thought the passengers wouldn't yell as much in case they woke up the big foreigner. If so, their strategy failed spectacularly. Still more than half asleep, I jumped up and did some yelling of my own. I can't remember what exactly, but I must have taken the Lord's name in sacrilegious vein, because as the Chinese scuttled backwards in fear, some American tourists on the outside of the circle were revealed, staring at me in horror. It was as if Lucifer himself, with sharpened horns and thrashing tail, had suddenly appeared to blaspheme amongst what I can only imagine was some sort of fundamentalist missionary group. One woman held on to the crucifix around her neck, but whether she thought I'd steal it or was brandishing it to keep me away wasn't clear. Next, on Party in China, or Party Back in China if you like, the worst journey of my life defies grammar and gets even worse than worst. You know what I mean, because by now you understand me. And you know that I'm Party Parslow, and that I always say, 
Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.